Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Siju. Coming up in this edition, the South Korean government says it is seeking to hold the first talks with the junior doctors over their walkout. Representatives of Hamas and Fatah, a major Palestinian political party, are reportedly meeting in Moscow to discuss the formation of a unified Palestinian government. And G20 finance debates are underway in Brazil, with focus on taxes, inequalities and sustainable development. We start with Asia. About 9,000 trainee doctors in South Korea walked out of their jobs for the 10th day in a row on Thursday in protest of the government's plan to boost the medical school enrollment quota by 2,000 next year. Government officials have renewed calls for doctors to return to work or face punitive actions, such as the suspension of their medical licenses. Zhang Yun reports from Seoul. According to the Ministry of Health and Welfare, 9,997 trainee doctors, accounting for 80% of the total, have submitted their resignations, and 9,076 of them have left their work sites as of Wednesday. Health Minister Cho Kyu-hong made a last-minute appeal to the striking doctors, repeating a pledge that they will not be held accountable if they go back to work by Thursday. The government said it will soon initiate steps to suspend the licenses of those who fail to return to work by the deadline. Authorities will conduct an on-site inspection at hospitals to finalize a list of trainee doctors who have not returned by the deadline and begin relevant steps for punitive measures. The steps include giving them prior notice about their violations of the Medical Service Act and offering them an opportunity to state their opinions. Thousands of interns and resident doctors across the country have walked off the job since February 20th to protest the government plan to expand medical students' enrollment. The plan is part of government efforts to alleviate the shortage of doctors and improve public access to medical services. However, doctors have expressed concerns that such increases could compromise the quality of education and training. The prolonged confrontation between doctors and the government has resulted in significant disruptions to medical services. The government has initiated investigations into several critical cases resulting from the ongoing strike. In one case, a pregnant woman with birth canal complications suffered a miscarriage after being denied surgery at one of the affected hospitals. The Korea Alliance of Patients Organization is calling the postponement of treatment a death sentence for patients, urging trainee doctors to promptly return to work and calling on the government to take measures to prevent medical service disruptions from happening again. The government has announced plans to expedite the opening schedules of four situation rooms used for emergency medical services. They will supervise and manage the transfers of patients in emergency or critical condition so they can receive timely treatment. 
In the final procedure for the government to file a criminal complaint over the labor action, health ministry officials have visited the homes of representatives of Trini doctors to deliver the government's back-to-work order. That's Zhang Yun in Seoul. Meanwhile, the South Korean government says it is seeking to halt the first talks with the junior doctors over their walkout. The health minister says most striking doctors have not returned to work despite a Thursday deadline. Martin Lowe reports from Seoul. I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but you really could say that we're at the edge of the abyss here in terms of medical chaos here in、uh, South Korea. Already, one death has been attributed to the doctors' protest.、Uh, an elderly lady suffered a cardiac arrest, reportedly was turned away by seven hospitals、uh, before she died. Now, in terms of the doctors, we've seen no movement from them. There's no suggestion at all that they will be going back to work.、There's There's been a tiny trickle over the last couple of days. Out of the 10,000 who are not working, a few hundred have returned, but clearly the vast majority have not done so. The prime minister has、uh, ordered that、uh, doctors in the army, the navy, and the air force、uh, are being drafted into civilian hospitals to try to fill some of the gaps being left by the junior doctors.、Um, uh, already,、uh, military and police. Uh, hospitals have been opened up to the general public to try to treat them. The medical clinics that are dotted around the country、uh, have been asked to open for as long as they can to provide treatment. I mean, it's bad enough here in the capital Seoul,、uh, where the big teaching and university hospitals are.、Uh, they've had to cancel more than 50% of the operations they've got scheduled.、Uh, but reportedly, in the rural areas, there are simply areas now with no doctors.、Uh, the, the junior doctors would normally provide the health service in the rural areas. They're not there.、So So there is no health service. That results in、uh, ill and injured people having to travel and make their way here to Seoul, the capital. But then, when they get here,、uh, it's quite likely that they're going to find it extremely difficult to get treatment, even here. Clearly,、uh, all sides、uh, would like to see this resolved, but. Sadly, there doesn't seem to be any movement,、uh, any inclination from either side to to give ground or to seek a compromise. So we just seem to be in an impasse at the moment. With, of course, the patients being the ones to suffer the most. That was Martin Lowe. Turning to the Middle East, representatives of Hamas and Fatah, a major Palestinian political party, are reportedly meeting in Moscow to discuss the formation of a unified Palestinian government and the rebuilding of Gaza. This comes as the Palestinian Foreign Minister said Hamas should not be included in any coalition government for now, citing international concerns. We do believe that a new government should take full responsibility of. Uh, you know the services uh, and you know、uh, actions both in West Bank and in Gaza. We thought that a new government will be seen as a government that will take responsibility both in West Bank and Gaza, because West Bank and Gaza should be seen and treated as one territorial unit. The time now is not for a you know a national coalition government. The time now is not for a government where、uh, Hamas will be part of it, because if in this case, then it will be boycotted by a number of countries, as it happened before. 
Riyad al-Maliki, who represents the Palestinian Authority, which runs the West Bank but not Gaza, made the remarks just two days after Prime Minister Mohammad Shatay announced his resignation. Meanwhile, Hamas has urged Palestinians to march to Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque at the start of Ramadan next month. Earlier, Israel said it would allow Ramadan prayers there, but set limits. David Biller with the Associated Press reports from Jerusalem. Hostages' families began marching north from a southern city in Israel, which was one of the bloodiest sites of the October 7th rampage by Hamas militants, where more than 300 people were killed. They are holding pictures of the hostages who remain in Gaza and blasting music on loudspeakers and waving Israeli flags. They're trying to put pressure on the Israeli government to reach a deal to release the hostages. It's believed to be about 100 still alive in Gaza after more than 100 were released in a November ceasefire. An Egyptian official has told my colleagues at the AP that the deal currently under consideration is the release of about 40 hostages for around 300 Palestinian prisoners and a six-week ceasefire that would allow much-needed aid to enter Gaza. There's been some cautious optimism around these talks. However, both Israel and Hamas have thrown a bit of cold, cold water on that optimism. So everyone's waiting and watching to see what's going to come out of Doha. The situation has grown increasingly dire in Gaza, particularly over the last month, with the delivery of aid by trucks you know, dropping dramatically. We saw in the UN Security Council that a top official from the World Food Program said that child malnutrition in Gaza is now the worst in the world. It's not just food, though. It's also fuel, which hospitals need to keep the generators going for patients who are on dialysis or in intensive care units. Um, it's also needed for desalination plants. And a top official from the Food and Agriculture Organization said that water supply is at 7% of its pre-October 7th levels. Now, virtually all of the aid that has been able to make it into Gaza is coming into the south and hasn't been able to get up north. That means the situation there is particularly acute. The small glimmer of hope is that amid vast outcry from the international community. 50 trucks did enter North Gaza between Monday and Wednesday. This was confirmed by Israel, which says that it doesn't put any limit on the entrance of aid trucks and has put the blame on the, er, for the bottlenecks on UN agencies and aid groups. They, in turn, blame the social chaos on the ground, the relentless offensive by Israel, as well as burdensome inspection processes by Israel before these trucks are allowed to cross. Israel says that's necessary for security. That was David Buller in Jerusalem. In South America, finance ministers and central bank presidents of the Group of 20 have gathered in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Social inequality is a major focus of the discussions. Paulo Cabral has details. The meeting of the finance ministers and central bank leaders of the G20 and officials from eight guest nations opened Wednesday in Sao Paulo. The host, Brazil's finance minister, Fernando Haddad, could not participate in person after testing positive for COVID-19 and delivered his opening address instead via video conference. Haddad said fighting poverty and inequality are at the core of what Brazil wants to discuss at the G20. At the same time that millions have been lifted out of poverty, especially in Asia, there's been a substantial increase in income and wealth inequality in various countries. We have reached an unsustainable situation where the richest 1% hold 43% of the world's financial assets and emit the same amount of carbon as the poorest two-thirds of humanity. 
Speaking after Haddad, the president of Brazil's central bank, known for his more liberal economic views, spoke of the importance of monetary discipline to achieve long-term poverty reduction. Agnes's backdrop reminds that some macroeconomic policies underpin the environment where loans are prompt and sustain social gap short. The G20 has reiterated the need for well-penetrated monetary, fiscal, financial and structural policies. China is represented at the meeting by its vice minister of finance, Liao Min, and the deputy governor of China's central bank, Lu Lei. The high-level finance officials gathered here seem to largely agree on the need to fight poverty and inequality. The question is whether economic and global security realities will present insurmountable obstacles to achieving such goals. Holding the presidency of the G20 this year, Brazil is tasked with defining the group's priorities for this cycle of discussions, which will end with the summit of heads of state in November in Rio de Janeiro. Wednesday, the officials here discussed Brazil's proposals, which, after approval, will be outlined in a communique at the close of meetings on Thursday. That was Paulo Cabral on the G20 finance debates underway in Brazil. Finally, let's turn to Africa. Waste generation is a highlight of the UN Environment Assembly underway in Nairobi. The total amount of waste generated around the world is expected to reach 3.8 billion tons by 2050. Experts have expressed their concerns and are discussing possible solutions. Wikistan Yabwa has more from Nairobi. The arts global waste problem is growing. Municipal solid waste production is predicted to grow from 2.3 billion tons in 2023 to 3.8 billion tons by 2050. This is according to the Global Waste Management Report of 2024, which took stock of the status of waste disposal in countries around the world. But increased generation of waste globally is just one of three glaring environmental issues threatening the future of the planet. In the report, researchers have outlined the hidden costs of poor waste disposal practices. They pointed out that this could contribute to environmental pollution, poor health and climate change. Fast developing areas also continue to generate huge volumes of waste. Experts say that economic growth and waste production appear to go hand in hand. As economies grow, they also contribute to waste production. The key, experts say, lies in prevention, management and minimization of the waste produced. There isn't a single country on earth that has managed to successfully decouple economic growth and waste generation. Now, this is a cause for concern globally. The higher income countries are using far, far too many resources per capita and we're using these resources in a linear fashion resulting in extraordinary amounts of waste per person. Projections show that a circular economy where waste generation and economic growth are separated could lead to a net gain of about 100 billion US dollars per year. The recommended solutions are broad, ranging from technology transfers, enactment of preventive and containment practices, as well as enforcement of penalties. However, in each case, strong leadership is required to set the pace towards zero waste. That was Rickerson Niabwa on the UN Environment Assembly underway in Nairobi. Now recapping today's headlines, the South Korean government says it is seeking to hold the first talks with the junior doctors over their walkout. 
Representatives of Hamas and Fatah are reportedly meeting in Moscow to discuss the formation of a unified Palestinian government. And G20 finance debates are underway in Brazil with a focus on taxes, inequalities and sustainable development. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Qi Zhi. Thank you for listening.